0: off the east coast of America on the ferry from Cape Cod to Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard is a tiny island which achieved an international fame five years ago this summer when Senator Edward Kennedy drove his car off the bridge and into the river at Chappaquiddick. It's a tiny island, uh, the holiday preserve of the rich from New York and from Boston. But this summer, it's the location for one of America's biggest motion pictures, Jaws. Based on the novel by Peter Benchley, it's the bestseller in England at the moment, it's the story of how a killer shark baroads and threatens the lives and the livelihood of a small New England beach community. Making a feature film on dry land is a complex enough process. There seem to be at least three people for every job. Making a feature film at sea stops just short of a nightmare. It's the second day of American shooting on Jaws. They've already been to Australia for the underwater shots of the shark. Turn on the walkie-talkie, place, ready. Freddy! Fred Sendar, I need to talk to you, Fred. Turn on the walkie-talkie. Stand up. We're not shooting. All the usual panoply of assistant directors with megaphones, continuity girls, sparks, and chippies are obliged to float round the action. They're still in the process of learning which side is port and which is starboard. Guys, we can't shoot right now. Hold on. Have that, have that belt go out and pull the anchor up and reset it off there, OK? Looking, uh, film stars Roy Scheider of The French Connection and Richard Dreyfus of American Graffiti. The director said he faced the head of the studio and he said, I can't do it in time. But in the age of director as superstar, the movie will probably be sold on the latest American star behind the camera, Steven Spielberg. John. Junk is junk is junk is junk is junk is junk is, check is, check is, check is check Joggist, it is Joggist, where I will be watching Jaws each day. Podcast, got a podcast, but I'm not quite sure what I will say. The choice of this time I give you pause, cause it has nothing to do with Jaws. Joggist, it is Joggist, where every day I will watch Jaws and talk about Jaws. It helps if you like Jaws. It's day 18, and you know that I've seen Jaws, Jaws. I watched it this morning. Welcome, everybody, to Juggist 18th. Day 18. 18 days in a row. That's right. I've watched Jaws 18 days in a row. And guess what? It is still an excellent film, and it always will be. Nothing's going to change it. But I am still interested and still fascinated and still looking for things and still enjoying it thoroughly. I'm still kind of getting some sort of weird visceral chemical reaction when I see Ben Gardner's head because of the music. And I am still smiling at the right places. I'm still cringing every single time. Quint... Um, His, you know, untimely demise. Uh, All the right things. All the right places. The movie still hits me in all the right spots. And that has to do a lot with the amazing acting. And a hell of a lot with the amazing music. But you know what? It also has to do a lot with the fantastic directing of Steven Spielberg. Steven Allen Spielberg was born December 18th, 1946 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Imagine if I went through his entire Wikipedia or IMDb uh, bio right now. That's all I'm here to do. What I'm here to talk to you about is, real quickly, Steven Spielberg is a major influence on my film life. When you think about it, uh, my favorite movies are Goonies, Back to the Future, and Jaws. Those, I think those, are, I mean, I, I, I would have to say those are my top three movies. And we got producer, producer, director. Boom, bam, boobity boop. Uh, he has, he uh, E.T., one of my favorite movies ever. Um, Gremlins, he was an executive producer on that. Loved it. I mean, all these movies that he was a part of, through my childhood, really starting, I mean, he produced things, but like, um, really started producing major movies after I was born. So almost my entire childhood from, from, uh, Poltergeist to, to, uh, I almost said, uh, the money pit, but I didn't even know he, he did that inner space. Um, all, I mean, like, Everything you could possibly think of going... Then, you, then you're then you like, oh, wait a second. he, he All the Jurassic Park movies. Uh, oh, my God. So many movies, so many movies, so many movies. I can't even... You, I don't have to talk about Steven Spielberg's... Um, like, his enormous uh, place in the world of cinema. That's beyond the point. Uh, and, and even Ready Player One. I immensely enjoy that. I love the book. And I, I, I really enjoy the movie. Um, but... I'm not here to talk about Steven Spielberg's career. I'm here to talk about Steven Spielberg and what he brought to the table in Jaws. And really, when you think about it, what he brought to the table was a young, hungry artist who wanted to do things real. And okay, how real can it be when there's a giant mechanical shark? Well, you need to have that for certain things. But where he could, when he could, he would use real shark footage. The fact that they, you know, uh, they went to Australia and got shark footage from this this famous couple. Of course, I don't remember their names, but they're at the end of the credits. They they shot the, their you know underwater photographers, and they got a real shark next to a you know a slightly smaller cage with a with a small person inside uh, to make the shark the real shark look big. I mean, these are things that. Nowadays wouldn't be done would be all done with stupid computer animation. I think the last time that I can remember a movie that used, you know, I've, I don't know if that's called the forced perspective, I think it is. Um but I know the Lord of the Rings movies did it. Uh but but Elf, if you watch Elf, like the things where Will Ferrell looks so much bigger than people, it's not because of CGI or split screens or anything like that. I believe it's forced perspective. It's all done in the camera. Like it's I love that stuff, um, and I think Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, you know, used that for, you know, the, making the shark look bigger underwater, the real shark, um, but it was just also the fact that he didn't use a tank. Yes, they did uh, some extra shots in, uh, not a tank, but a pool, and uh, was it, we were talking about this with uh, Chris, my guest yesterday, um, in Verna Field's pool, where they did some of the pickups for uh, Ben Gardner's head um, and but like really everything else was done on the ocean for real. Uh, there's some great interviews where you listen to Spielberg talk about how they screwed up and they made the shark for fresh water and the salt corroded it and they had to do that you know they had to um, wait for that to work. And really um, whether it was the plan or not, a director will take, um, what he has, and make the best of it. Because, you know, you think the direct the director's not the boss. The director is the, um, is kind of, you know, dir- it's, it's, for lack of a better term, directing the action. C- you know, putting together the shots uh, and making sure the actors are doing the right thing in the right spot. Really, the boss to movies are producers. You know, it's funny that, you think of like the term producer in a movie and the term producer, same term in like um, music, two different things. You know, there's, there's the term, the producer who kind of puts things together in music. Well, that's more like the director and the editor in movies where the producer in movies is like the... The boss of all the bosses. The producer is what gets things done. The producer either gives the money or finds the money, hires the people, fires the people, and and hires the people that hires the people. Um, and hires the people that fires the people. They are like the, the head of the... Uh, like, what they say goes. You know, they can tell the director what to do. That's why you'll see... Sometimes you'll see a movie, and then you'll see a movie called Director's Cut, because, well, the producer it's connected to the studio and they want this to be, they want to cut this out and they want this to be, you know, only so, you know, this long where the director says this is the actual vision that I want my movie to be. They don't always get that. Some producers, some directors do. I'm, you know, I Spielberg obviously will, does now and, and has for a very long time but I don't think, I, I doubt he did then. What did he, like I forgot, I thought this was his first film It wasn't. He did Sugarland Express before this, which I've never seen, but I feel like I should. Uh, But then he did Duel, which was a made for TV movie, which I've seen and I really enjoyed. And it's funny, it's like an un. It's a man being chased by an unseen, like, force in a truck. And I feel like people have compared it to Jaws, uh, you know, where there's this, like, there's this um, evil. Force that's chasing you It's not exactly the same thing because it Really if it was then the guy would be chasing the truck I don't know but there's some sort of Like connection that um, Or some some comparison That I know people have made Really what I Love that Spielberg did Was and I don't know when In the history of cinema this started happening But this movie is Feels lived in Feels real um, it's not perfect. You know, at some point, if you're watching old movies, everyone's talking like this. Everyone's loud. Everyone's projecting. They're all from theater or from vaudeville, and they are projecting to the, you know, the the last row. They want everyone to hear everything. Uh, and then at some point, you know, these younger directors came in and were like, we need to make more real movies where, you know, you're, you're close to this person. You're hearing this person talk, and something's really quiet. And I know... This had to have started in the 60s, right? Or it could have been in the 50s. I don't know. But, <clears throat> excuse me. But Spielberg obviously um, is of that ilk, of that style. He loves um, he loves the worlds where it feels like every man could be in it. Um, you know, I mean, look at Indiana Jones. He's this cool, suave, Uh, uh, Archaeologist But he's also kind of a Kind of a boob Kind of an everyman Kind of a You know Normal fella Who just also happens to be brilliant And you know Looks great in a hat Um, I think of E.T. And all the kids You know There's an interview I was watching Or it might have been in this clip I played at the beginning Where it shows um, It shows Steven Spielberg Talking to people About King Kong And how there's like, he he's talks about how there were like 30 people in this one scene in King Kong, and um, they're all, they have like two or three lines to say, and they're all saying them all over each other. So it has this big, big feel of commotion because people, will, you know, not everybody waits for the, someone to finish talking before they're talking, especially when there's a giant, you know, ape coming at them. And he said something like, I've never seen anything like that since Ken, King Kong, and he wanted to do something like that when you watch this movie and you see, uh, first of all, Jaws won for best sound, you see the layers of sound that are in this movie. Um, yes, there's some great, you know, all these great things, you know, in the second half of the movie. But in the first half of the movie, the commotion on the beach, the, the you know, people screaming, people yelling. Um, there's the, the scene where uh, um, uh, Brody is running to go save Michael in the pond and you hear some guy going you know, somebody, does anybody have a gun? Like these little, little extras, little things that are just little flashes of awesome or, you know, what is it 24 hours is like three weeks. Um, These little, that's just how it just felt real because real life has this commotion. Real life has people that talk over each other. Real life isn't just, you know, two people talking and everyone else around them, you know, mouthing quietly, you know. I, I, Loved that stuff. Obviously, you love the fact that, you know, they took the, the, I remember in freshman year of college, I, there was a, um, I took a film class and there was a, you had to do some sort of, um, like, show an example of editing that you liked or I think it was editing or it was the scenes or something. And I brought in Jaws. I brought in Jaws because that movie was still like, was wow to me. And I always loved that they never let you see the shark. They use this instead of seeing the shark. You had these barrels. You had you had this, um, you saw a fin. You saw just the camera. You were the shark. You saw uh, a dock. You know, I mean, I don't think I realized at the time that a lot of this was, you know, because the shark wasn't working. So I don't know if this was... I, I wonder because if the shark was working how would these scenes have been different? Would they have been different? Would they... I don't know. I have no idea. But... So am I saying... I guess I'm questioning. Are Were these the intentions or is it just, you know, they had to um, they had to make it this way because, you know, would they have shown the shark more, I guess? Would they have shown the shark... Wasn't there like a, in like uh, one of the drafts the shark jumps out and gets Chrissy, um, but instead they just tied rope on her and pulled her, which is much more effective because it's like being afraid of the dark. You know, you know there could be something out there, but you don't know what it is, and even in this, in the water, in the dark, I mean, there's nothing. You don't see a thing down there. You know, that's that's scary, obviously. And they're playing on the fears, the fears of the unknown, the fear of something's happening and you don't know what it is. So I love that that stuff too. Um, There is I'm, I'm just rambling about Spielberg But little things that I love That he uses And some of it Because this movie's lived in Some of it is the imperfections uh, Brody goes to get the stuff You know the the art supplies To make the signs He pulls the brush off And it knocks the whole thing over Now I assume that wasn't planned I assume Roy Scheider took that Knocked it over and went ooh And you know a lesser director would be like, all right, cut, let's go back, let's do it again. And maybe they did. Maybe they took it twice and um, either Spielberg or Werner, Werner Field said, Verner Field said, you know, this one feels better because he's in a rush, he's in commotion. Or, I'm completely wrong, and in the script it says, you know, he knocks it over in a commotion. I don't know. That's how real it felt. Um, but, you know, just watching it, I'm thinking, oh, I bet he, um, I bet, that happened little things like that that I don't even know for real so like um when Brody is on the beach with the kid and he's talking about uh he shows she ran out of you he's like no I reported and I he takes a step off the beach he almost falls like he kind of stumbles a little bit uh and they keep that in um you know again because that's what would happen the, the only thing I'm, I'm thinking that I caught that I was like oh I don't know should they have kept that in is In Quint's little speech at the beginning after he scratches the the blackboard, I talked about this, the camera is moving in slowly and this one guy turns around, doesn't look in the camera, but turns around and kind of like gives a little double take and then leans forward. Why would he lean forward unless he's like, oh, I need to get out of the way of the camera. That was, um, that took quite a few viewings for me to even notice and even point, like, I'm not even sure if that's real. That's just the, um, that's just something that I thought I picked up on. I don't know, but all these things I'm talking about, all these, um, you know, the, the action that he could do, the, um, the kind of unknown and making the the best out of what he had, the realism of, um, you know, little scenes where it didn't look quite perfect, but it was like, it felt more real, like... Um, when they say, "Are you are you gonna you know close the beaches?" He's like, "Yeah, yes." Oh, before he said that, he's like, "We're gonna bring on the summer deputies." Roy Scheider kind of stumbles a bit, but keeps but pushes through. I love that because I don't know if that was intentional. It just felt real. And sometimes movies will let's you know every speech, every every line, everything is perfect, um, and that's just not how people are. You know, I. Earlier today, earlier in this episode, I said um, he was born in Cincinnati. Well, uh, that's the second time I recorded that. I started the same thing and I said, I said, symphonate Sinfon- or something. like I said something that I, I've never said in my life, but that's because in real life, people screw up. And um, so that was just enough, something else I wanted to point out. And the other thing that I love about Spielberg's direction in, in this um, is he doesn't, just he's not just this giant action director he can put a camera there and not do anything and there's no there's no sweeping action there's no zooming in there's no like fancy editing it's just here's the camera lock it roll sound film go and let the actors deliver Okay, or maybe not on a tripod. Maybe sometimes he's following them around, but he lets the actors deliver because I there was you know I saw an article and it talked about one of the better one of the best or a bunch of the best like long takes, and one of them was that Jaws take where they're with uh, Mervon. They're talking about the tooth. They are um, you know saying you're going to be lined up to be a hot lunch. There's the vandalism on the sign. Uh, and that's only one scene that's like that. There are a lot of scenes where I'm noticing, I'm like, that are letting this happen, and they're not cutting away. Now, like the, the Indianapolis speech, there isn't. I mean, there is edits, but there are long stretches where it's just you're sitting there, and you know it's all done at one time. Even even if they cut away for a reaction, the voice you could tell it's not cut. Um, there's the scene on the barge where, again, I still don't understand what happened to those kids because they went and they said, Charlie, take me out take me out to those kids. Uh, the mayor comes up. They go. Charlie just kind of takes them out, turns them around, brings them back. They're already heading back when Mayor Vaughn's like, you can take us back now. But again, that whole thing was one awesome shot. The whole thing. They never cut. Um, from the moment they get on, I don't know how many takes it took, but Vaughn gets out there, Carl, um, uh, uh, Carl Gottlieb, uh, Ben, the other Ben. <laughs> um, is it Feldman? I forget. Uh he's he's there, the medical examiner who isn't even an actor. He's a doctor. Um, but he he's there. You got Hendricks in the background, you got the other guy who likes his uh, his suntan to absorb. Um, and it's just perfectly done. Uh so many scenes like that. Even, I mean, I know there's an edit, but the scene where, uh, it's 101, 101. It probably is, it probably is, and Vaughn comes over and says, no half-assed um, autopsy. These aren't extremely long, but they are just moments where the performance is, you know, is above all. The performance by the actress is above all. I've said it before, even the scene on the beach where... Um, the woman's going in the water. Alex Kittner comes out. Alex Kittner uh, talks to his to his mom. Walks up, grabs his raft, and then you're you're there with Brody for a second. All one quick take, not terribly long. Um, it's just uh, another instance that I wanted to mention. And of course, um, the dolly zoom. Yes, my favorite shot in probably all of cinema history for the reaction, for what it means, and for what it kind of portrays. The, oh my God, and it's all on Brody. You know, that zoom in, where the background's moving at one speed, the the foreground's moving at another speed. The, um, I think it's, you're zooming out while you're pushing in, or the other way around. Um, it is uh, one of the best moments in cinema. One of the most memorable moments in Jaws is that, and of course, the, you know, the, come, Why don't you come down and chum some of this shit? Um, Just fantastic at all times. Uh, I know, what was it, in the Siskel and Eber thing where he wants to turn, he loves turning a laugh into a scream and and manipulating the audience. Spielberg's great like that. Um, And I don't think, I don't think there's much more. I don't think there's much more I could say. I'm sure I'm missing out on a ton of stuff, but I wanted to just kind of focus on. Little things that were specific to the director. Uh, And of course, that man is the great Hall of Fame, Steven Spielberg. Yes, he can make movies like E.T., Jurassic Park. Uh, um, He can make movies like um, Indiana Jones. And then he'll go and do The Color Purple. And then he'll go and do... Schindler's List. And then he'll go and do Saving Private Ryan, which still has one of the most amazing, you know, scenes in all of history, in all of cinema history. And that, of course, a lot of that's done with CGI, but it was done so believably. Um, there's a movie I should go back. I got to go back and I haven't seen in a long time. Um, but I, you know, just wanted to kind of uh, pay, pay homage to the man, the myth, the legend, Stephen. Alan Spielberg. Uh, so that's pretty pretty much it. Um, you know, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Geek Mentality. Uh, the website is fansnotexperts.com and the Facebook page is FansNotExperts. Experts. Now, uh, before we go, I have a special treat. Uh, I was going back into the joggist archives and I found this old... Um, this old tape from I think it was 1996. Uh, so it was I think we were celebrating the 10th year of Joggest at the time, and uh, this was when we used to do the live performances. Um, it was we were the first live podcast of our time in the 90s, uh, which is re- really tremendously ahead of its ahead of our time if you think about it. Um, I don't know that we get the um, the due that we do deserve. I'm not sure if I said that right. But, um, yeah, I found this tape and uh, I thought, you know, just kind of um, since we're celebrating, you know, another year of Joggest, we weren't able to do any live shows this year, obviously. But here's a look back to a Joggest of yesteryear and one of our favorite guest musical performances. Hey, everybody, how are you? Thank you guys so much for coming out tonight. We really enjoyed doing Joggis Live. Um, it went a couple hours longer than I thought we would, but, you know, I think it was worth it. And uh, I have a very special treat for you to close out the show tonight here to perform a Joggis favorite just for you tonight. The one, the only, Tom Waits. Farewell and adieu to you, Fell Spanish Lady Farewell and adieu, you ladies of Spain For we received orders for the sail back to Boston. So nevermore shall we see you again Terrific. That was just terrific. A big thank you to Tom Waits. Uh, I want to thank everybody who came out tonight, all my guests. Please make sure to tip your wait staff. And remember, Hooper wasn't invited to dinner. Have a great night, everybody. And here's my theme song. This is my podcast. I made it. Geek mentality is what I named it. And I think you should listen and subscribe. Cause I'm kinda funny and awesome, I think that I'm worth your time, and I'm kinda handsome. My mom says, please listen and please subscribe, at least listen to this episode. I'm Not experts.